is useless in the absence of action. When you build a foundation of sacrifice, you build a future of success. The message of the cross is a revolutionary idea. Think about it. A person would lay down his life for the benefit of someone else. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He sacrificed. And that sacrifice is the foundation on which love is built. No greater love, he says, than to lay down our life for another. It is said that those who forever seek the will of God are overrun by those who do it. How much longer will we question our place in what God has invited us to build? Have we convinced ourselves that God must use someone else to build this church? Or are we willing to step up, invest in, and build the future that God has invited us to create together? The choices we make today, the sacrifices we make today, have the power to reach those who desperately need a hope and a future. Every generation, I believe, has a right to hear the message of Jesus. We must recognize that we have an opportunity to build a legacy, a legacy that will shape a generation and make a difference in this city. We don't do this by ourselves, and we don't do this for ourselves. We do this for those who need hope, a hope that we believe can only be found in Jesus. Our city needs to know that there's a God that is for them, that there's a God that knows them by name, that he knows their pain, he knows their struggles, he knows their fears, and he knows their shortcomings, and he still loves them the same. Our city needs to know that church isn't a building, but it's a family that will love them, care for them, lift them up, pray for them, and will walk with them in every season of life, from mountaintops to valley lows. You and I, we must take on a heart of faith and trust in our God, that he goes before us that his plans are good, that we can trust him in the process as we move forward in the big thing he has for us, that God is going to see us through. The one way that we do this is we operate from a heart of fearlessness. We trust God that he sees the road. We trust God that he is ordering our steps. And in that, we know that we can move forward as a church. We can move forward as a people fearlessly into our future. I ask you today, if you're going to do this with us, it's going to take a fearless spirit to trust God as we make a difference in this city. Amen. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to church. We are jumping into a series called Upon This Rock. Thank God when we planned this back October, uh, Upon This Rock, this message series, praise God that a song would be written in the summer right after all of this. And it was called up on this rock, so we just changed it to upon this rock. We just had to change a few of these lyrics, which is really cool. So if you go look up the song, Up on This Rock, the lyrics are going to be different than what you sang inside of here, okay? It's going to be talking about lullabies and no, no lullabies can, you know, help me sleep, stuff like that. And I was like, let's just take the hot lullabies out and let's get some truth inside of the song. So literally our team rewrote it and um, we sang it that way, which is awesome, okay? There's no copyright issues with that. And so nobody report us to the <laughs> FCC or whatever. <laughs> But man, it's just absolutely awesome. Upon this rock, we're starting this series. It's a great concept, great idea. The church was built upon a statement, and we're going to jump into that here today. So it's good to have you. Thank you for your grace. Last week, I woke up, and I was sick. I was nauseous, and I said, man, God, I could use an illustration of a bucket, and man, I could use that really well. If I got to use it, I got to use it. If not, then I could say, man, you got to get filled up to be able to pour out in Jesus' name. That's why this is on the stage. 
But the moment it moved towards the toilet, I was like, there is no illustration that will ever work for that. So praise God. Thank you for watching that video that was from a year ago last week. All right. So welcome to church for all the new people. We're like, whoa, too much information very quickly. But man, we are a church after the unchurched, and we love seeing people far from God come to know Jesus Christ. That is the mission of our house. Today, I want to just kind of go through where we've come from, where we are, and where we're going. Buckle up, buttercup, as I would say. We're getting into some trenches here today. There's going to be some details, so plug in, tune in, listen up. I don't want you falling asleep, okay? If, you, if you're an individual who likes to fall asleep, sit up in your chair, all right? We're going to get into this. So over the last eight years, we've been building the church. 30 people came together and said, we want to build Pearl Street Church right here in downtown San Antonio. 30 people launched what we know today as Pearl Street Church upon the backs of sacrifice. We launched out of my parents' church, uh, took 30 people with us on that journey, and we core team built up, launched the church May 25th, 2014, saying, man, we are going to do something to make a difference inside of our city. We're going to change the spiritual climate inside of our city. Over the last eight years, we've seen God do incredible things inside of our church community. We've seen him change, transform lives. We've seen drug addicts completely give their life to Jesus. People coming out of jail, restored in Jesus' name, fully submitted inside of the church. We've seen marriages. Praise God. We've seen marriages. Marriages walk through these doors, papers signed. But God changed, transforms the heart. And when he transforms the height, Heart, there's restoration in two lives coming together. We've seen young people completely confused in ideology on a worldview and what this is all about come to know Jesus Christ and say, there's got to be something bigger than what's being, what's being peddled to me outside of these walls and transform their ideology and their perspective from a secular worldview into a biblical worldview to say, I'm on mission for the work of Jesus Christ that's been existent for thousands of years and I'm going to be a part of that great work. We've seen lives absolutely transform by the work of Jesus Christ inside of this place. We are a small C church. Don't get me wrong. The global church is billions of people. We just make up thousands. And here's the deal. We can look at the, uh, the humble beginnings we are in, but we're, I'm not a pe we're not a people that will ever look back and say, man, I despise those days. No, I love those days. Those are beautiful days. Those are days that, man, we, were, we, we operated in faithfulness. And here's the responsibility that we have. Many people would ask me, Pastor, what's the size of the church? Where are we going? How big do you want it to be? And I'll tell you today, I don't want it any bigger than God wants it to be. I stand firm upon the biblical principle that God has. If you're faithful with the little, God will entrust you with much. This is not a measure of size. This is all about stewardship. If 30 people can steward what's in their hands at that moment in time to say, we will hold down responsibility inside of our church community, not asking somebody else to do what I can do, we will be able to live in a life of sacrifice that brings significant significance to a community. And that's the beauty of our church is we don't have membership. Members have rights. We walk in through the door. It's a transaction. I'm here. Here I am. It's my church. I get to do. But the reality is when owners walk through the doors, they see responsibility. What is my part to play in the bigger picture? I'm a part of something bigger than myself, and God has called me to be the body of Christ. Not a building, not a place, but a people. That is what he has called. Over the last eight years, we've seen people that have stepped up and said, this is not about a building. It is about a place. It is about a place that we get to serve. It's about a people, sorry, about a people that gets to serve and make a difference. Over the last eight years, we've been able to partner with San Antonio Housing Authority that's dealing with uh, medium-income families, low-income families that are in a place that they need affordable housing. We've been able to bless them with shoes. We've been able to uh, have Christmas with them and bless them with gifts. We've been able to beautify their, their communities, three of them right here that's locally 
right around us. We've been able to partner with two schools in the last eight years. One recently, Bowden, uh, Bowden School, which deals with first through eighth grade, I believe is the totality of their, their reach there. But we partnered with Persian Elementary School for the last, I think, four or five years. They really literally are serving the teachers and we're serving the children. Through COVID, they had an issue with online kids struggling with reading. What happens? We stepped up to the plate and said, we'll virtually help kids with their reading. With teachers, we serve teachers during teacher week. Amen. You can give it up for that. With teachers. With teachers during, the, like, during their teacher appreciation week, we come in and cater a meal for them. Say, man, we're here to serve you. We want to honor you. You are making a difference inside of our community. We want to lift your heads and let you know you're not alone. We're behind you. We are for you. We've been able to serve in multiple different capacities. Just a couple weeks ago, we went to the other school, and we were able to pray with all these teachers that are dealing with the, the issue of a, a murder-suicide right across the street, and all these teachers are freaking out about the security of their campus and what's happening and the kids that they're dealing with and the brokenness of their home and COVID and the pressure that's put inside of the homes and the, the kids that are living without both parents in the homes and being abandoned. And these, these teachers are carrying the load because they want to make a difference. And by the teacher's uh, uh, mission or the desire, they said, well, you guys come over and pray with us. And I think it was like 12 or 14 teachers just gathered up in the middle. And we had 20 of our team just there praying around their library and just believing God that he would move in that place. We came to the end. He said, we're going to pray specifically for them. You guys gather up. We're just going to lay it on you. We're going to pray the power of God moves. And I'll tell you, all 20 of us surrounded those 14 or 12, or I forget how many teachers it total was. We just began to pray, God, would you move in them? They're leaders that you would give them strength. I'll tell you, there was tears upon tears. Come on. When the power of God shows up to meet the hearts of humanity, it defies this right here. That's bigger than moments. It's bigger than pain. It's knowing there's a God that's in the trenches. This is the joy of what we get to do as a church community. Once a month, we step out. We pass out bags of blessing. Our different teams goes out and serves the transient community. And no matter what you think about the transient community, they may be there on their own admission by their own choices, but they are a group of people that God has called us to serve. It's called us to serve. The beautiful thing is, is that there's a young lady sitting in our church today that was invited to our church, right back here, invited to our, by our church by somebody that we served on a Saturday. Literally, he was in need. She stepped out to give to him. They bought him a sandwich at Chick-fil-A. He says, do you have a church? They said, no, we're actually looking for one. He says, man, you got to go to Pearl Street Church. Here they are today coming to Pearl Street Church right here. In Jesus' name. Actually amazing. Come on, who does that? Amen. This is the beauty of what our church has been able to do. We started with 30. Start launch day was 96. Year number one, 496. Easter 2019 at the Aztec Theater, downtown San Antonio, 3,036 individuals that walked through our doors. We've been to five services as a church community, and all of that is an illustration. We're making an impact inside of our city. God has blessed us with much. We're trying to be good stewards with what God has called us to do, and God has placed it on our heart that we need to fearlessly build for our future. That process has brought opportunity for us. We thought it was Burleson Street, a 25,000-square-foot building that literally got sold right from out, out from underneath us at the last minute. I signed the contract. It was going back to the owner on the building. I get it back from the broker, and the broker says, you'll never believe this. They sold it to another individual. Now, you talk about... I was already telling the church, it's a done deal. We're going to have a new building. It's going to be amazing. Everybody was like, yeah. 
yeah. And I came back and said, they sold it out from underneath us. And everybody's like, you're a horrible leader. You lied to us. That's not necessarily what they said. But that's how I felt, okay? (laughs) Fast forward two years later, I know God has called us to have a a building, a future, 1102 North Cherry Street, this building that I saw years earlier but was 63,000 square feet. And I'm telling you, I'm a practical practical guy. It was $3 million. I'm thinking, Lord, we ain't got no $3 million. I don't know how this is going to happen. When I looked back at it in 20... Through 2020, it was $4 million. I said, this is no way it's going to happen. But I felt in my spirit, God say, go and pray. And if I say yes, then do. For three months, I would go, and I, before I'd come into work, I would travel around this building, and I would just circle it. Based on the Mark Batterson's book, Circle Maker, if you've got something that God has called you to, circle it in prayer. Circle it in prayer. If God shows up, man, that's, I love his story where he talks about if you want revival, draw a circle in your room and begin to pray that revival comes to that circle and you'll see revival happen. I love that. But I get to pray over this space in this area and then I would stop and I would sit in this one place and I would look at the building. And I would just look at it and just pray, God, if this, is this you? Is this you? I know we have a future. You got to understand, I've had people throughout the last eight years tell me, Brent, if we just go five miles outside of the city, the prices are less. It would be easy to get a building. Here's the deal. Pearl Street Church is not called to an easy road because significance is not built when in easy. It's built in sacrifice. We're pioneers. We'll go where the thorns and the thistles and, 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 the, and the trees are and the, and the madness and the bushes. We'll go through and we'll chop it down. And we'll, we'll clear a path for the direction God has called us to. And I stood firm and like, this is what I know. It's got to be within a mile of this building right here. That's what I know. What was in my dream, what was in my vision was no, nowhere outside of a mile outside of what I, we are here right now. Literally, we're within a half mile of what was in the vision God gave me 15 years ago. Literally a half mile from the building God showed me 15 years ago. So I would sit there and I would dream and pray and God, and, blah, and I heard him say, dare me to do it. Now, here's the deal about a dare. A dare has no, a dare is kind of fun because you're like, you're going to, you could really mess this up. <laughs> One, you're going to do it, and I'm going to be like, wow, you're awesome. Two, you could not do it, and I'm going to say, that was a hilarious story, and I'm going to tell everybody that you failed. <laughs> but I remember sitting there thinking, God, he said, dare me, dare me to do it, dare me to do it, dare me to do it, dare me to do it. I said, God, I'm going to dare you to do it. Walked through that building, $4 million, looked at it and said, man, this is a good place and a good space. I will dare you to do it, God. We began negotiating on 1102 North Cherry Street, 63,000 square foot building, January 2021. And just quickly, this is how God is in the details of all of this. God's in the details of all of it. I got to trust it. He's in the details. Walking that building with the advisory board, my dad, my parents, who are the founding pastors of the Little Light Church that planted us out, I said, man, will you guys come along with us and just pray with us and see if this is what God has called us to do. This is in the decision making. My dad, before we ever came to an agreement, my dad came to me a couple weeks after. He says, when I was walking the building, Brent, I, I really felt like the purchase price on this building is going to be $3.2 million. And I said, dad, I love you. You are my father. But I think you need to go back and pray again. Because it can't be $3.2 million. If it's $3.2 million, we can't, we, 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 we can't do it. He said, I, I really think it's going to be $3.2 million. Lo and behold, long story, and I'll tell you whenever we get into this building how it all comes to pass. It's God and everything else in between. But I told the broker, I'm not giving them another number. I need you to go tell the owner on that building what did God tell him. What I felt God told me is I'm going to stir the owner on this building in his sleep to the point where he will not be able to sleep, and I'm going to give him the exact number. That's what I felt. Literally, 
And so it's never been done before. We said, hey, broker, go and tell them, tell the broker that he needs to go ask his owner, what did God tell him to sell us the building for? And he's like, I've been in this, been in this business for 40 years, and I've never done this in the history. <laughs> never done it before. He goes back and asks the guy, what, are you gonna, what did God tell you to sell this building for? You want to know what the exact answer was? And this is how I love it. It's, it's not just, just $3.2 million. He says, I will not sell them the building for a penny less than $3.2 million. Now, here's the deal. When you know God's in the details, it's all about language. Because it's one thing, 3.2. It's another thing, not a penny less than, letting you know it's exactly the number that I'm I'm, going to sell the building to you for. And I'm sitting on this side like God, but I want it to be $2.3 million. I think you you need to help. I'm dyslexic, and I think you need to be dyslexic right now and flip those numbers, God. But what's the reality? 3.2. We signed on June 5th, 2021, two or $3.2 million building on a loan. Don't get me wrong. 20-year 20 20 year loan, um, a good interest rate. I think it's 4.5 interest rate on commercial property, which is absolutely amazing. Um, literally on this building, our payment is going to be uh, the same as what we are paying right now for a lease on this building. This is how God works. It's a lateral move, but it's... Eight times the size of this building. Eight times the size. So right now we are renovating 25,000 square feet of this building, okay? And that's where we are at. That's where, we are, uh, where we're going. And uh, it's the future of this house. So I'm going to give you more details on the back end of this message, okay, as we jump in. Uh, I want to I talk a little bit about the, the first message that I preached inside of this building was this message by Jesus Christ in which he uttered the words, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. How many of you guys have some statements in your life that you live by? Anything? Like personal. Maybe there's some personal things. I'm like, you know, this is, I do hard things, you know, things that out there, I'm built hard, I'm built tough, right? this will not break me. Things that you just say when things get tough. You're inside of your marriage, right? You're like, I, uh, something, I something I tell myself daily, my wife's in the, in the building, something I tell myself whenever things get tough and we're in a challenging place is I don't always feel like I love her, but I will love her every day. Right? That's a good marriage one right there. I don't always feel like it, but the reality is I made a commitment to, to do it, right? Now, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. Don't get me wrong, okay? She can attest to a lot of days that I, I struggle in Jesus' name. I'm like, Lord, struggle's real, right? Marriage is real, right? Um, and I, I share those stories all the time. But there's moments in time where, you know, in church and pastoring, if it's God's vision, it's his provision. I'm living in that here today in Jesus' name. There's statements in which are made inside of our lives that give us confidence in where we are at. That's a truth in which we live in that we truly believe in our lives. That, man, when we hit hard things or challenges or struggles or whatever it may be, we have scripture in which we can stand upon to say, you know what, this too, you know, this will not break me. This will not be my demise. If Joseph was able to overcome, if David was able to overcome, if Gideon was able to overcome, I can be an individual that will overcome, right? you got scriptures in your life. you got parables in the Bible that, that encourage us in times that are hard. We know what scripture says, that in, in hard times, what do we do? We rejoice because these are seasons that character is being developed. And with that, we, we're, we're gaining strength inside of our faith in hard times. There's things that are, there are statements that are made that give us confidence. And I'll tell you today, for, for our church, when it comes to the body of Christ, this statement, this story, this parable is paramount for understanding on exactly what God is saying to his church. 
that get it out of your hands and leave it in mine. Number one, if you want to write this down, this is what I would say. The church is built on revelation. The church is built on revelation, not revelations. Okay, not revelations. Don't get all super spiritual on me right now. Revelations, yeah. Ah! Hellfire Primson is going to be amazing. Release the legion. You know, all that stuff. The church is built on revelation. How's this scene inside of scripture? It's this story inside of here where Jesus is articulating the truth about the church. He would say this in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read all the way through verse 20 through 13 verse 20. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, it says he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? What you have is Jesus getting towards the end of his ministry. He's been doing a lot. He's confronted religious leaders. He's provided a lot of miracles for people that were broken. He's protected people that were judged upon by the religious community. He's directed people that were walking in sin to, to sin no more. He's done a lot amongst people. Now, here's the deal. Whenever somebody is doing a lot, there's a lot of talk about the individual, Right? There's a lot of talk about them. They're like, oh, man, this person, and this is who, and this is blah, blah. So what you have in this situation is there's the religious community, a Jewish population that is waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for the Redeemer. They're waiting for a, a, a king that's going to rise up and reestablish the, the Jewish kingdom and push back against the Roman Empire that's infiltrated and overtaxing them. And it's, oh, we need a king. And so you got people on all sides of the spectrum. you got the political people where Jesus is challenging power. And then you get the, 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 the Jewish people that are like, is he the Messiah? And they're all in this place. And then you just get Gentiles that are like, this dude is dope. Like, he's actually talking to me. Like, he's amazing. He healed my body. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, not an, I'm not ostracized. He's actually, like, in relationship. And he's hanging out with me. This is crazy. They, they, like, religious leaders would not even hang out with me. That's crazy. So... The question is, hey, disciples, you guys are hanging out with all of these people. You're in the community. What's the word on the street about me? Well, what are people saying about me? Now, what's the reality? We do this sometimes. We're trying to, we're wondering about what people are saying. Maybe our friends got a little talk going on. You're like, hey, so what are they saying about me? What they say? You talking to them, what they say? Don't act like we, it's the same thing, right? is give me the lowdown on what exactly is being said. Give me some clarity on, on what's being articulated amongst people. I want to understand, but here's the beauty. Jesus takes it from the external because he's challenging the individuals not to live upon the external words because sometimes we can live in a space where we'll hide behind somebody else's statements because we don't want to get real about our beliefs. And so Jesus is taking it from, well, what are people saying? And he brings it down into their level and it's like, okay, cool. I get what you're saying, what they're saying, but what do you say? So moving on in here, he says, well, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and, or one or the other prophets. So it's, it could be John the Baptist, you know, uh, resurrected. John the Baptist was just killed by Herod um, for his criticism over Herod's marriage. Or it could be a past uh, prophet that was speaking on behalf of God. It could be all these things, but then he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's a different question. 
You know, we live in a culture here today where, where the same thing is going on. There's a lot of things being said about Jesus. A lot of things about who he is or why he was and, 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 and what was his purpose. There's a lot of things being said, social media, TikTok, whatever, friends groups, uh, um, philosophy classes on campuses. There's a lot of things being said about the man Jesus. We can either get caught up in what the world is saying about Jesus or we can be clear on who we believe and know Jesus to be. It, we, we, can, we can get caught up in, oh, well, maybe he's this or maybe he's that. And we can be running around with all these different ideas that the world has about somebody that has given his life for all of humanity. Or we can come back to a place and we can answer like Peter does. I love how Peter responds inside of here because Jesus is cutting through the noise of society and cutting to the heart of man. He goes on to say this, but who do you say that I am? Peter would answer, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What is he saying? You are the Messiah. You are the one spoken about by the prophets on the Redeemer of his people. You are the savior of the world. You are the one that all of humanity must come before and give their lives to. You are the one that has been prophesied about. You are the one that has been spoken about. You are the one that has been, we've been waiting on. And guess what? You're not just man. You've come from the living God. He makes a divine statement about a man named Jesus. And what does Jesus move on to say inside of here? This is where the truth of it all is. He says, you are blessed, Simon, uh, son of John. He says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Here's the deal. We can live life with head knowledge about somebody. We can live life with head knowledge about something. But when the head knowledge moves to heart knowledge and understanding, what is it? There's revelation on what the reality is. And if it's true, then it's got to change the way in which we live our lives. He's making a statement on, I'm no longer waiting for somebody else to come. You are the Savior Messiah, and there is no other way to the Father except through you. It's you, Jesus, that is the son of God that came to pay the price for all of humanity. It's you. That's revelation on his life. That's not somebody else said, or I think it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's Buddha, or maybe it's Islam, or maybe it's, maybe it's whatever. This is Jesus. You're the son of God. You're the savior, the Messiah. I don't care about all these other ideologies, all these other world, these perspectives. What's been revealed to me, not by man, but straight from God is my experience is I am broken. I am desperate. I am in need. And Jesus is the answer to my human problem. i got to come to him. It's you, Jesus. You. That is revelation. On the inside, he's revealing, that's revelation to your heart. Man did not reveal this to you, God did. When there's revelation, there's transformation. And where there's transformation, there's a life that is lived in response to it. He is making a statement, we cannot live life the same anymore. If you wonder why, 
All the disciples laid down their life except for one by martyrdom. It's because of this revelation right here. They, were, they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the son of God. And they knew his message was for the world. Jesus says, I'm building my church, not on a person, Peter, on a statement. I'm building it on a statement. When my word goes from head knowledge on who I am, and it becomes heart knowledge, God revealed to humanity, then it brings transformation to life, and lives are lived differently. Has Jesus revealed himself to you? Is he a good idea? Or is, is he the idea? In transformation, you get a revolution of individuals that have revelation in their heart to change the world. The climate we live in here today, if you didn't know, 50% of the church died with COVID. 50% of the church died with COVID. Not literal. There's a lot of the church that literally died. But spiritually, 50% of the church died. 50% of the church is gone from the church community. What does that mean? It means that for some reason, individuals lost sight of the revelation of who Jesus is and the transformation that has happened in their heart through the power of Jesus Christ. And with that, they have walked away from the church and they're finding themselves doing other things. Second thing I will say with you today is this. We are the transformed lives that make up the church. The church is built on revelation and that revelation on the inside of our lives. And we are those transformed lives that make up the body of Christ. It's us. Again, it's not a people. It's not, or it's not a place. It's a people. Again, it's us. 1 Corinthians 12, speaking about the body of Christ, and at this moment in time, there's a lot of different people talking about this importance, and this church is doing that, and these people are doing this thing, and what we're doing is better, and they get into this big comparison game, and so Paul's got to bring some clarity to the church in Corinth, and it's not about what these people are doing or those people are doing. The body of Christ is much bigger, and every part, uh, every piece has a part to play. So he speaks here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through 12 through 13. I'll jump down to 27 to bring the importance to it. You can jump in and read this next week about it, just the importance of the body of Christ and each having a significant part. But verse number 12 says this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. What is he saying? The body of Christ is vast. That's why I say when you walk through these doors, careful that you don't look up and see heaven because heaven's going to look a lot like what you see inside of here. Multiple different socioeconomic st uh, statuses in here. Multiple different colors, races, skin color. I mean, all of it, it's, it's unique inside of Pearl Street Church. Why? Because we're not a yacht club. We're not a, we're not a re religious club. What are we? we're, a, we're a church on mission to see unchurched people come to know Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And that is for all people, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, not a certain group of people that he loved the world. He gave his one and only son. So we, he's speaking to the church. And there's many different parts, and there's multiple different ethnic backgrounds and multiple different types of people that are in the room, some that are well-to-do, some that are not well-to-do, some that have different skin colors, different backgrounds, different histories, different family upbringings. But the beauty is, what is it? We all have been what? Baptized into one one body, we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same 
spirit. What is that spirit? We share the spirit of the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. John baptized with water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We are baptized into the same body and the same spirit in Jesus' name. Verse 27, bring importance to this. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Each one of us inside of this house make up the body of Christ. Everybody's important. Everybody's significant to the body of, uh, body of Christ. As I said at the beginning of this, we don't have membership. We have ownership. Ownership says I got a part to play. What is my part to play? Live, serve, give, um, pray over the house, and man, live a life that represented. That's ownership inside of the house. It says I got a part to play in this big picture. I got a part to play. You know, each one of us have walked through these doors with a different type of background. Maybe some of us were in, served some time in jail. Some of us grew up in a religious home. Some of us went to a super religious church. Some of us never stepped foot in a church until we walked through Pearl Street's doors. Everybody has a different starting point inside of this church. But here's the deal. All of us are called to build the church, though. Every single one of us. It's the moment that the revelation on who Jesus is transforms our lives. We are the transformed lives that make up the body of Christ. Our actions now say we got a responsibility to do something for the body of Christ. We're not here to serve ourselves, but we're here to serve others. We're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to build God's kingdom. That's what we're here to do. I love inside of our church that over the years, we've seen so many different lives walk through these doors and find Jesus Christ and, and seek transformation. We'll say around in our churches, come as you are. Please come as you are. But don't stay that way. Don't stay in a place where you accept the reality of your, your, your existence. Every single one of us are called to a life of sanctification. What is sanctification? We are all getting better at following Jesus Christ and walking in his likeness and his behaviors and his characters, thinking and acting just as he did. Every single one of us are inside of this room. But everybody's got a different starting point. And your starting point may have come from a completely dysfunctional background where your upbringing was inundated with completely unbiblical ideas. And your living today is completely out of alignment with righteousness listed in God's word. So come as you are, yes, but trust and know that Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. I remember a young lady that walked through our church and she walked in in a relationship that did not honor God, clearly didn't honor God. I won't get into the details, but it didn't honor God. And she said, man, I can't live like this. Under conviction, she said, God, I want to move forward in righteousness. This relationship doesn't honor you. This relationship does not, um, it's not righteous. It's not the right thing to do. It's out of alignment with your design for marriage, and um, I'm stepping out of it. And this young person was willing to, or this young lady was willing to allow the confrontation of sin in her life where she stepped into a relationship, let me just be clear, let me be clear because I, I don't want you to get, misunderstand what I'm saying. Di I'm not talking divorce. Um, and, and this is a same-sex relationship. A young lady that was living in a same-sex relationship walked through these doors as she was, and our church community loved on them, walked them through the process of loving and caring for them, helping them understand Jesus and sitting in service, conviction began to hit her heart. I'm like, man, what we are doing and living is wrong. This is out of alignment with God's design for marriage. This is out of alignment with the biblical standard on what marriage looks like. And for that, we have conviction in our hearts. They, she had conviction in her heart to say, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm willing to do what's right according to the biblical standard rather than live a life of walking in sin. 
As I say here today, we may walk in here today struggling with something. Amen. We may be walking here today struggling with something, but it doesn't mean we continue to live our lives in that struggle and justify it. Our church is not an, a sin-affirming church. What we are is a grace-affirming church. God's grace is upon you. He loves you. God's mercy is here for you. But here's the deal. We serve Jesus that said, sin no more. He gracefully protected a woman that was living in sin. But man, when he looked at her and said, here's the deal. Your decisions today have led you to this brokenness. My responsibility is to tell you the truth. I gracefully love you and care for you. But here's the deal. Go and sin no more. And this young lady inside of our church, I love it, was willing to say, I'm no longer going to stand here and allow myself to walk in sin when I know God is asking me, confronting me to walk in righteousness. And she broke it off here today, walking free, living in a relationship that honors God. She's in a place where she's no longer walking in sin. Life is completely transformed. How does that happen, though? It happens when there's a, there's a community of people that says, we have the transformation of Jesus Christ inside of our heart. We're not compromised by culture. We know what the truth of God's word says. And today, we don't live by the emotions of man. We live by the truth of God. The word of God became flesh, and it dwelt among us. The word of God in the beginning, God existed, or Jesus existed. That word became flesh, John 1, and it dwelt among us. And that word has to become flesh to us. It can't just be head knowledge. It's got to be heart knowledge. It's got to be the truth, not a truth. And with that reality, a life was absolutely transformed. And here today, we've seen just over five... Uh, 5,556 people come to know Jesus Christ over the last eight years of ministry inside of this place. 5,556 people come to know Jesus Christ, said yes to Jesus. Multiple different situations, people walked in one way, and God's pulling them into a place to say, I got something better for you. Don't live that way. Go and sin no more. It's a beautiful place to be. Now, I want to tell you a story of an individual that walked in this same transformation. This gentleman, you'll probably never hear him on main, mainstream media, but what you will find about William Wilberforce, if you want to listen to this guy's story, you can go watch the, mo the movie Amazing Grace. But William Wilberforce was an individual. He's a British, uh, British politician, a philanthropist, and a leader of a movement to abolish the slave trade in England. A native of Kingston-upon-Hull, Yorkshire. If you know where that is, I have no clue where that is. Somewhere in England, okay? In the United Kingdom, somewhere. He began his political career in 1780, eventually becoming an independent member of parliament known as an MP for Yorkshire. In 1785, he became an evangelical Christian, which resulted in a ma uh, major changes to his lifestyle and a lifelong concern for reform. In 1787, he, be he came in contact with Thomas Clarkson and a group of activists against the slave trade, including Greenville Sharp, Hannah Moore, and Charles Middleton. They persuaded Wilberforce to take on the cause of abolition, and he soon became the leading English abolitionist, abolitionist. He headed the parliament campaign against the British slave trade for 20 years until the passage of the Slave Trade, in, uh, slave trade Act in 1807. In later years, Wilberforce supported the campaign for the complete abolition of slavery and continued his involvement after 1826 whenever he resigned due to his failing health. The campaign led to the Slavery Abol uh, Abolition Act of 1833, which abol um, abolished slavery in most of the British Empire, 
Wilberforce died just three days after hearing that the passage of the act throughout Parliament was assured and slavery was abolished all throughout the British colonies. Isn't it amazing about this story that there's a man that was living and his heart was transformed? And when his heart was transformed, when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he said, I'm going to, whatever injustice I see, and he was involved in a lot of different things. He said, you know what? I'm going to fight to end slavery in this entire nation. And he gave his life into, into it until it was three days later. I love the story. Three days after the act was passed, I think there's beauty in that to say, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Christ has transformed me. I'm not just a person that talks about it. I'm a person that acts in accordance to it. And with that, I fight for injustice. I fight to, uh, to help the ostracized. I fight to do things that make a difference. And with that, he was instrumental in abolishing slavery throughout the British colonies. Isn't it amazing? You may never hear that story in mainstream media, but there was a man that fought for it. Men that fought for it all over the globe and are still fighting for it to this day, which is beautiful. The last thing I'll leave you with is this. Number three, God's got a promise for us. God's promise is all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What will he not conquer? He will not conquer my church. Matthew, verse 16, uh, Matthew 16, verse 18 says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what? The powers of hell will not conquer it. The powers of hell will not conquer conquer it. What does this mean? This is speaking to the reality on the backside of this revelation that is communicated by Peter to Jesus on who do you say that I am? Peter gives a, an articulation that is revealed by God that you are the son of God. Jesus comes back to him and says, hey, Peter, upon this statement right here, you're the rock. It's not a man. I'm not building it on you. I'm building it on a people that understand. Revelation has hit their heart. And the gates of hell will not prevail against people that have revelation in their heart about who true Jesus truly is. The global church that comes to an understanding that Jesus is the Messiah of the world. He did not just come from man. He was immaculate conception through the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And he, was a, uh, he has no uh, earthly daddy. He's got a Stepdaddy Joseph, but his heavenly father, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus came from God, not by any man, came from God, and he's the Messiah. Jesus says this, those that have that revelation in their hearts, the lies of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, he'll prevail against people that don't know that. He'll prevail against churches that begin to compromise truth. He will prevail against churches that struggle with staying firm in the commitment of what the word says. Oh, he'll prevail there because the father of all lies will step in as the truth and begin to undermine what really is true. As I've told you before many a times, a little bit of poops in the brownie, still a poop brownie. You want a little bit of poop, a little bit of untruth. You want a little bit, you want a little bit of compromise on the word. What will you get? You will get a poop truth. Just give it to you plainly. You don't get around with just a little bit of anything and something, and all of a sudden it's still made whole. Anybody that understands this truth and stands firm upon it, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, you may, you may have heard me say this before, but how do people that deal in currency, how are they trained? 
People that deal in currency aren't trained by bringing every bit of counterfeit currency in the world brought to them and say, this is counterfeit, this is counterfeit, this is counterfeit. Look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it. Look. People that deal in currency, they're trained in what the actual thing is to the point that it doesn't matter if there's a million different counterfeits that are offered. They know what the real stuff is so well that they'll never give in to a counterfeit currency. I would say that has to be the same thing true for every single person inside of this room. You have to know the truth about Jesus. You've got to understand the big picture of life. The enemy wants you to get caught up in your world and your thing and your emotions and your feelings and your desires and your passions and your struggle and your, your thing. That's what the enemy wants you to do. But Jesus says, I am here to set you free from that chaos. I am here to set you free from the, the sin of man. I've come to kill, or I mean, I've come to uh, deal with the death, hell, and the grave. The enemy's come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to set you free. You no longer have to live bound to the world's ideology. You can be set free by the truth. And when you get there, now you can live a life that's transformed. Not living according to man's lies, but you know the truth so well that you don't compromise. I think it's Thomas, uh, Thomas Jefferson that would say, we're always one generation from losing freedom. All it takes is one generation to miss the understanding of what freedom looks like. All it takes is one generation to miss what truth truly is about living free. We're one generation from losing freedom. Same thing would be true inside of our faith. We're one compromise away from losing freedom. Oh, it's just a little bit. Oh, the enemy will step in and begin to lie, cheat, steal inside of your life, get you caught up in things that are trivial, not focused on what is real, what is true, and you'll find yourself down the road of living chaos, living in madness, drug addicted, strung out, relationship to relationship, depression state to depression state, anxiety to anxiety, pill to pill, whatever he can get you on. But you got to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, you'll give, you'll give in to anything. Know the truth. It's Jesus Christ, and he's given us his word. We got to know the truth. Got to know the truth. The church is built on individuals that know the truth. Revelation has hit their hearts. It's not about our thing. It's about his thing. We understand the big picture, and we're willing to give our lives for it. I will build my church on this statement and the gates of hell will not prevail against you or against me. Let's stand up to our feet for a second. I want to sing this out together. Upon this rock. Come on, if you're a transformed life, it's been revealed on the inside of your life. Come on, we serve a God that has brought revelation to our heart, that there's transformation in our lives. He is due our praise. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Conqueror. He is our King, Jesus. Come on, can we sing it out to him?
four years, we've, we've come together as a church to say, we want to give for the future of our house. This is what we want to do. We know God has made a difference in our lives, and we want to be a part of making a difference of every life that walks through our doors, just like this church has made a difference in our lives. You know, there's a young lady in our church that her husband passed away in a, in a motorcycle accident. And she, he was a veteran, and she didn't know if he was going to get health insurance or the life insurance or whatever. And somebody said, you just need to file for it. She's like, I don't know. And but she walked through our doors just completely broken, lost her husband, living in darkness, two children, figuring out what does this mean? God, where are you at in the middle of it? She walked through our doors. Churches surrounded her, loved on her, encouraged her, and walked with her through the journey. If you were here at Easter, we, we did a mock service in the, in the new building that was really, really rough, really rough atmosphere, but amazing. It was absolutely amazing. A couple weeks after, she said, Pastor, I, I, just what I felt inside of that place. I want every, every single mom that walks through the building in the future, I want them to experience what I've experienced through Pearl Street Church. This individual handed over a large amount of money based on the life insurance she got. Not all the life insurance, but some of the life insurance. A large amount of money. She said this, I want somebody to experience what I experienced from this church in the loss of my husband. I know there's people that are going to be walking in hurting. You got Natalie that's done the same thing. Roger passed away, which was in our church community through COVID. She got life insurance and said, I want to take this life insurance money. He loved this place so much, and I want to give it. God called me to give it for the sake of the future of this church because I want people to be transformed like their lives were whenever Roger and Natalie walked through our doors for the first time. Absolutely amazing. We had an individual walk through our church that was drug addicted and struggling inside of life, job to job, walked through, gave his life to Jesus Christ and got a job across the street at Pearl and in the maintenance department. He walked in one Sunday and, and put a $50 bill in my hand and said, Pastor, I want to give towards that thing. Whatever that thing is for our future, I just want to give towards that thing. I was like, the fearless fund? He's like, yeah, 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 that fearless fund. Here's the deal. The beauty of Pearl Street Church is it's not made up of one person that is carrying the load. It's made up of a whole bunch of people that say we're owners inside of this house. Jesus has been revealed inside of our heart. He's called us to this place. We're going to make a difference. That's what we're here to do. So today, what are we doing? We're starting the last bit of our fearless campaign. Here's the deal. If you are not a part of our church, you're just visiting here today. If you've always seen the church as a church that's after your money, close your ears right now, okay? I want to talk to some owners in the house right now. I want to talk to people. This is Pearl Street, your church. This is, you're here. Your life has been transformed by being a part of this church community. It's not Pearl Street that's done it. We've cultivated an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit has moved upon your heart and you've seen transformation through coming to know Jesus Christ and allowing the sanctification process to happen. I'm talking to you right now. So everybody else just tune out, okay? But today, here's our reality. When we stepped into the renovation on this building, we originally thought our estimated renovation cost was $1 million. Little did we know that we would have inflation, 
supply chain issues, gas prices through the roof. We didn't know this going into it. All I know is God said, build fearlessly for the future of this church. If it's God's vision, it'll be on his provision, right? So today, what I'm asking is, who, who are the owners in here that are going to jump in and be a part of this fearless completion campaign, okay? We've already done Fearless Fun 1, Fearless Point, Fearless Fun 2.0. Now we're sitting here today at Fearless Completion Fun because we're no longer coming back to the Fearless Fun. It's going to be something different in the future because we got bigger plans and everything with this building. But we want to give for the future. So we got these cards. These are our Fearless cards. It's a commitment card. What I'm saying to you as an owner, maybe you already know. God's already put it on your heart. You're like, cool, fill it out, put it in, be faithful with what God has asked you to do. Everybody else, though, what I want you to do is take a card, and I want you to pray. God, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me and my family to do for the future of this place? What are you asking me to do? To this point, here's the reality. Let me just, let me, and I, I'm not, our church, at this moment in time, over the last four years, has given $882,542, so $882,542.32. That makes sense? Okay. $882,542.32. That's how you say it now. These numbers are bigger than anything I've ever talked about in my life. That's how much we've raised to this moment in time. We've been able to purchase the building. Not all around. We got a loan on it. We got a good, you know, a good uh, interest rate. It's amazing. Same payment between this and there. It's going to be great. We believed, right, it was going to be about a million dollars. So we got money all in right now. Here's our money where we're at. With this, we got $3.2 million for this renovation. And that's going all in. What are we doing? We're trusting that everybody in here, me included, is going to be faithful with what God has placed. We're going to be obedient in our time, right? So if you're not tithing today, the first thing I ask you to do is tithe. Go set up reoccurring giving, get it set up, because here's the deal, we're forgetful people. Our hearts are faithful, our minds are forgetful. So what we don't want to do is live our lives in forgetfulness and be unfaithful with what God has placed in our hands. So faithfulness says, I'm going to go online, I'm going to set up reoccurring giving that automatically I'm always faithful. Whether I'm on vacation or whether I'm sick, I'm always going to be faithful to the church so the church can build because I'm an owner in the house. But everybody else, with you if you're faithful in your giving, campaign. So here's our reality today. You're going to have to move out of the way, Rebecca, because this is like real, real, we're talking real, real numbers right here. We originally thought it was a million dollars on the button on the estimated renovation cost. Where are we at today? With parking, we're at 1.985. So how much are we short? 1.2 is what we got for the parking lot. Now, without the parking lot, we're like about 535,000 short. Everybody just take a big breath. <laughs> okay? What are we not doing? We're not going to stop building. What are we not going to do? We're not going to stop renovating. we got seven months to get into this place. We're pushing for Easter. I'm going to say spring 2023 just to give us a little, little, little bit of leeway. Middle of the summer, I'm depressed, feeling like a failure as a leader. God, where were you at in the middle of this? If you called us to the desert to kill us in this process, our church is going to die. We've stepped into this. we got all this financial leverage. Where is people at? Are people going to step up? Are they not going to step up? God said, it's my thing. Get your hands off. I said, yes, Lord. I kind of said, yes, Lord. I was like, okay. Be honest. I was like, okay. Well. 
Two months later, I get a call from an individual in our church that said, we're getting a windfall of money. We're going to give $100,000 in January. I said, yes, Lord. But we're still short. <laughs> Three days later, I get a call from a guy in California that said, me and my wife have been praying and Pearl Street is on our heart. We're going to give a good chunk of money. I said, how much are you talking? <laughs> he said, X amount of dollars. I'm not going to tell you how much he said because it's a lot. He said, I'm going to give a significant amount of money, and here's the deal. You can tell your church that all dollar match every dollar that they give. Every dollar that is given for this campaign right now, from here on out, he's going to donor match it. You give a dollar, it's two. He called me back a month later and was like, hey, we've really been praying, and God's putting more money on our heart. We're going to double what I originally said we were going to give. I was like, you shall supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Amen. Here's the deal. One person can give a lot, but what, would, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? I would hate for somebody outside of our church to step in and carry the full burden. This right here has no sound system on it. It has no furniture on it. We're going to be going to the building and be like, Don't, you, you sitting on the ground, okay? But I'm cool with that, right? I'm cool with that. At least we're in, and we'll figure it out when we get there, right? What is our part to play? If you're called to this house, then you have something to give. If that's $5 a month, it's $5 a month. Praise God. Don't drink Starbucks for one day. I know that's a struggle for some of you guys. That's too much of a burden to bear. Go collect cans then, okay? Whatever it is, if God asks you to give, if God says give a number that you're like, I've never done that before. All I have to say is we serve a God that when we are generous, he, he gives abundantly more, right? And measures that we cannot detain, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We can never outgive God, is what God's word says. If he says something crazy, be obedient with what's crazy. I'm just, I know this. The moment I stepped back and said, I'm, I'm not a failure, although I feel like it. I know my God is our provider. He already provided almost everything we need. So what do we need to raise? I believe if we raise $300,000 collectively as a community, we'll get it matched. That'd be 600,000. Praise God. Maybe this 100,000 comes in. Praise God. And then we're at $700,000. This is just like numbers. I'm working numbers right now. I'm just doing business with you. 700,000. 700,000 on 1.2 million of what we have right now. We'll put us at 1.9 million and then God's got the rest. It's just 85 grand. That's it. That's it. Okay. So that's the logic. What am I asking for your heart? Go pray what God has asked you to do. We have a whole website set up, pearlstreet.church forward slash PS Fearless. A whole website you can go to. We're going to track it all. What did you pledge? What's come in? We're going to know exactly where we're at, what phase we are in. Today we've started underground plumbing. We got walls coming up. Praise God in Jesus' name. The process is started. I'll tell you, we ain't backing down. I don't care what inflation, gas prices, whatever these crazy contractors are telling us. We're going to keep on moving forward, trusting God. Amen? We got a lot of different things. Jump on the website, check it out, okay? Now, take this and pray about it, okay? I truly believe God is going to work in a miraculous way in this. I'll leave you with this last statement. Great things are not built by chance. They're built by choice. At Pearl Street Church, we are making a choice to build the church and make Jesus known in our city. That's, our, that's what we're going to do. 
It's Jesus. It will always be Jesus, the name above every other name. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And upon this statement, we will build this church, and he is building his church. We are building a beautiful bride of Christ. He is coming back for us one day. Amen. We will be spotless without blemish in Jesus' name. So think about what God is asking you to do. Let's be a transformed heart. It's not head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. We live a life surrendered to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amanda, take us away. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bren. Wow, incredible, incredible message. I don't know about you, but I love hearing the testimonies. They make me, like, cry every single time. I'm just back there like, oh, God, okay. But I am so excited to just fearlessly build this house alongside each and every one of you. I know what an impact Pearl has made in my life, and I know you are here for that exact same reason, right? So I hope you come on this journey with us, right? But... More than that, guys, if we have not got to meet you yet, like I said, visit us in our VIP tent right after service. We'd love to get connected with you and meet you here today. And if you have any youth in here, where are my youth at? <laughs> They're like, there's like a few of them. <laughs> hey, if you have any middle school or high school age youth, right, this Wednesday is our youth night. It is going to be fantastic they are doing a talent show guys and so it's going to be really cool yes we're going to celebrate them like crazy um, because we have a lot of talented youth here at pearl street church so if you have youth bring them this wednesday and see their talents on display right but other than that guys we will see you next sunday have a great week